Net-A-Porter presents The Incredible Women Podcast, Series 3, The New Guard. Hi, I'm Kay Barron, Fashion Director at Net-A-Porter. In this episode, we're speaking to Kwana Chasinghorse, the land protector, climate warrior and new-gen model who is making a global impact with her dedication to environmental activism and her advocation for Indigenous rights and representation. Kwana's ancestry is Han Gwich'in and Oglala Lakota, and based in Alaska, the 19-year-old has fought alongside her mother for the conservation of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, an immense ecosystem under threat from fossil fuel extraction and which is a sacred place for the region's indigenous people. Her foray into the fashion world came after being cast in a Calvin Klein campaign in 2020, which championed the importance of voting. And she has continued to make intentional, impactful career moves ever since. On social media, Kwana raises awareness and calls for action on climate change and educates her followers about indigenous ways of life. She said of celebrating her heritage on the global stage, I can look at myself in the mirror every day, smile and see my ancestors smiling right back at me. Hi, Kwana. Thank you so much for joining us on our Incredible Women podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm very excited. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to have you. And especially because I know that you're in Paris during Paris Fashion Week. And obviously you had an incredible New York Fashion Week as well. What have been your highlights? Honestly, everything. I It's really hard for me to just choose because, man, growing up, I never would have thought that this is where my life would have led me. And I feel very blessed. And every moment that I have, anything that I do, I never take for granted because I'm one of very, very few Indigenous or Native models out here and I feel very lucky to be able to represent so yeah. It has been incredible seeing you on the runways and I think that it feels very special I think we've you know we've worked with you before at Netaporte and you know you created some some magical imagery for us but just taking you back to the Met Ball where you looked so incredible in that Peter Dundas gown and the most amazing pieces of jewellery I just want to know absolutely everything about that experience, please. <laughs> yeah, of course, man. I Every time I think about the Met, I just, it's so surreal still. Like, I still can't believe that I was there and I was in that space with everybody. Um, it was incredible. So basically how it all started was Peter and Anna Wintour, Vogue, partnered together to invite me and... They wanted me to be able to represent in the best way that I wanted to be represented. So they were really excited to have me incorporate some kind of indigenous jewelry or art. So basically, I met with Tapatha Simmons, the incredible stylist that helped put everything together. Through a few Zoom calls and stuff, we were able to kind of put together an idea of where we wanted to go with it. And I remember when I first heard the theme... I was like, wow, like this is something I could really make a statement at and, you know, prove to people that even though this theme is very like American, I can show up and be the most American I can be, which is just myself. And um, being indigenous to these lands, I didn't want to forget and I didn't want anyone to forget that in those spaces, it's really important to acknowledge um, the lands that you're on, the people whom uh, sacrificed a lot. We had 
planned on uh, like some beaded jewelry to go with it, but I had reached out to different uh, native designers and other family members that make incredible beadwork and jewelry, and no one was able to get it to me in time. My mom had the incredible idea of asking one of my aunties. She has a huge collection of beautiful turquoise jewelry from all over, not just from one specific artist, but from many. So she has this very, very beautiful collection. And it was just so cool seeing, you know, Peter and Tabitha just being so in awe of, you know, the beauty of the jewelry and also what it represents because our jewelry to us, we take pride in that. It's a big part of our culture, but also we have many, many forms of art. And it's amazing to see the symbolism in that. And the turquoise basically represents love, guidance, and healing. And there's a lot of beautiful things that turquoise brings to us in terms of energy. And I'm so grateful that I was able to be there and show up in that way. Obviously, so many people really took notice, I think, and after that, because your image was just everywhere. You looked so kind of poised and confident in those images, but that must have been quite an overwhelming experience. Yeah, it was crazy. You know, I'm so new to this world, this industry, everything that not everybody like knew me, you know. And so I remember walking up those stairs and like barely anybody took photos of me because they were like, whatever, there's the next person. And they're like way more famous than me. So they were like instantly getting pictures of them. And so I felt like walking up those stairs, I felt a tiny bit discouraged, but also I felt empowered because I was like, wow, like I'm here, you know, like I'm walking these steps with all of these people around me. And this is like a huge event. Because I didn't have my phone all the time and I wasn't able to just sit there on my phone the entire time. I wanted to embrace it all, experience everything for what it was, feel all the energy and like meet people and be fully present in that space. And so after I remember going to my hotel and my family was there and they were just like, have you seen the Internet? And I was like, no, like what's going on on the Internet? And they pulled it up. They showed me Twitter and like my phone was just blowing up. And then I retweeted this tweet that went viral saying like, this is Kwana, like she's this indigenous model at the Met Gala. How come no one's noticing her? And that went viral. And um, I retweeted it and was like, haha, this is me. It's like a joke. And the next thing you know, that went completely viral. Seeing my face everywhere and seeing all of these indigenous children like really excited. Like I had some family friends back home and like their little girls are like so happy and excited and was like, look at Kwana. She's like a princess, blah, blah, blah. Like having those little girls have somebody to look up to because I didn't growing up. The lack of representation is insane to me because like it's 2021. There should be more of us out there. But, you know, being able to be one of the firsts, not the first, but one of the first to really be in that um, space and be in this world, this industry, it feels like an honor because having young children 
look up to me. They're, they're seeing somebody like them on the cover of magazines, in magazines, on billboards. They're seeing someone that looks like them, that knows what they've been through, that can connect with them. And the lack of representation really is discouraging to Indigenous children because it makes us feel like we're not good enough to be in these magazines. We're not good enough to represent. And so being able to represent in that way is incredibly amazing. And also, I think that will definitely be the last Met that people don't know who you are. <laughs> the next one will be a very different experience, I imagine. But you um, discussed being obsessed with fashion shows yeah. when you were a child. But obviously, due to that lack of representation, you couldn't imagine yourself as a model. So what made you persevere to get to where you are now? Since I was three, um, we lived in Mongolia, me and my family, for like two years. And when we would be in the big city, the only show that my family would put on because the Mongolian, they understood and they could speak, but it was too fast for them to keep up on TV. So they just put on a random channel. And my mom randomly chose this 24-7 fashion network. And it was literally just constant runway shows after runway show. And I would just sit there in front of it for hours, just like so in awe of it, just watching it in every pose, every model, every you know, hair look, makeup, clothes. I was so into it. And after that, since then, everywhere I went, I was posing. I was acting like I was a model, like every photo I'm posing. And that's like been like really engraved in my head since a young age, wanting to be something that I didn't believe I could be. You know, in school, I got teased a lot for my looks, and I didn't think that I had what it took. And it was a really big struggle, and also not seeing any Native representation. And the little bit that we had was not accurate. And it felt like anywhere I went, people were like always saying, oh, I've never actually met a Native before. Or they would ask um, very ignorant questions, like it's not their fault, but it's also very frustrating and draining when people are so uneducated about Indigenous people and just small things, you know, what, who we are, what we stand for, the basics. And I guess throughout all of my advocacy, I just started gaining confidence because I felt power in my voice. It wasn't my look, it was my voice that made me feel confident. And um, I got recognized on social media. I was gaining a platform from it. Um, I was doing so much work. I had met a lot of congressmen and women defending our sacred lands. Um, a lot of climate work. I was speaking at colleges, um, doing a lot of <laughs> Zoom calls. I got a few awards for a lot of the work I've done. And so through that, really, people started recognizing me and my voice, but also the beauty that I brought with it regards to our culture and our traditions, not just looks. And Calvin Klein recognized that. And I was doing a lot of get out the vote work last year around the whole election. And the Calvin Klein campaign was the one future um, Gen Z voting, basically. It was all about voting and not who to vote for, but just the importance of voting and Gen Z stepping up into this role and being like, this is our future, you know, get out to these polls and vote. And since I was doing that work already, it aligned perfectly. And I've always wanted to be a model. And I was really excited. I was like, no way, like I'm modeling, but also they're incorporating my voice. This is so important. 
it's going to be amazing. And as soon as that came out, I had agencies reach out to me and I signed with IMG. And like a week after that, I flew out to New York. I did the Chanel book, um, a V cover. You're not being carried away with it either because you're making very intentional, kind of impactful career choices in the brands and the projects that you work with. How how are you looking at at the jobs that you do take and the the projects that you, you decide to turn down? Well, it all comes down to values for me. I grew up with such strong values. I really grew up knowing my ways of life. My mom was a single parent and raised us out in the lands. We hunted, we fished, very sustainable. Um, we made our clothes. We had, I had hand-me-downs. Growing up with that and learning that and knowing my values and being really grounded in them really helps me make decisions regards to my career. Anytime I get an opportunity to work with a brand, I like to make sure it aligns up with my values and that they're doing amazing work too, not just trying to use my image. And I really am trying to stay away from being tokenized. And it's hard because there's not many Native American models out there. And that's just how it is right now. But this industry is growing. It's becoming more inclusive. And being a part of that's really, it's an honor, you know, being able to be someone that's a part of that growth. And yeah, honestly, sometimes it can be very frustrating because I want to work with people. I want to do a lot of projects. I want to... um I want to accept some of these jobs, but sometimes they want me to either cut my hair really short or they want me to bleach and dye my hair a different color or they want me to cover up my tattoos. And that's something that my agency has been really, really good about is that they've been, you know, telling people like, you know, if you want to work with her, like work with all of her, you know, like her tattoos are a part of her. Her hair is sacred to her culture. Don't try to take away from that. That's another part of erasure is that trying to take away from indigenous people and what we bring regards to not just how we look, but accepting who we are, having that basic respect and understanding. It's very, very important. During New York Fashion Week, you were on a panel discussing representation and identity in the fashion image. How does it feel to be part of that discussion and to help kind of head the change in the industry it was amazing I honestly felt so good that they wanted my voice somewhere in fashion week like I wasn't there just to walk shows for my look to show off these clothes these beautiful beautiful clothes of course but also they wanted me to be there and use my voice that's what really got me started in the first place was speaking up and Being a part of that was so amazing. That conversation was so good. It was so, like everyone in that room was present. Everyone in that room heard us and they saw us. And it was packed full and it was so amazing to see how much people cared, how much people showed up and wanted to be there. That conversation, that panel was so amazing. I got to meet amazing people and the stories we shared come from a place of underrepresentation, of hurt, of growing up and battling with how they look. And whatever it was, you know, the lack of representation really does affect people. And that panel completely showed that, you know, it showed everybody like, hey, we need more representation and this is why. And these are these real people's experiences. And to be able to be in that space with those incredible other panelists 
man, it was so amazing. I felt so empowered being in that space because anytime I spoke, people listened. And that's very hard for Native people because when it comes to politics or even just simply defending our lands, our traditions, our cultures, things that are very sacred to us, we're still not heard. And anytime we are heard, it's not in the right way. And it's really hard for us to be able to get our message to get that representation to get that really important, not just speaking points, but just that visibility. We've been invisibilized for so long. I had such a really good feeling after that conversation. Everyone was so kind and um, I felt heard and seen. And that was the first time I felt like that in a long time, the way that I did. It was very powerful. And you've talked before about seeing yourself not so much as an activist, but as a protector of land as well as protector of culture, tradition and ways of life. Why does protector feel like a more meaningful and accurate description for what you do? I personally think anybody can identify as an activist for anything. If they are passionate about whatever it is, it could be climate change, it could be um, racism, it could be anything, they can speak up and claim that, you know, claim to be an activist. And that's extremely important. I want people to do that. That's amazing. But for me, it's more deep than that. I'm literally defending my ways of life, my right, my human rights. And that I should have that. That should be my number one given right to be able to live my ways of life, to practice my culture, to show the world how beautiful it is. But being labeled as an activist just breaks it all down and it's not as deep anymore. It makes me feel like very generalized and I'm very different. My voice is very different. The movements that I'm the face of and I'm not just the face of these movements. So many other faces are with me, standing with me. I'm representing way more than myself. When people see me and they see that I'm the Native American, they generalize me to all of Native America when I'm from two specific tribes. And there's hundreds and hundreds of tribes all over the U.S. and even into Mexico and Canada. I represent so much more than myself. And that's why I think activism, just an activist, is not the right word for me. It's such an incredible journey. But you obviously come from a family of protectors and advocates, as you've said, and they've had such a massive um, influence on you growing up. But you're also part of a generation who's driving so much progress forward when it comes to justice, equality and climate change. Is there anyone that you've looked at as a mentor figure or who's given you a particularly memorable piece of advice? Honestly, it's been my overall community and um, I call them my (laughs) anti-squad. But basically what that is, is Um, All the very powerful women in my life that has stepped up and has been a part of my journey. Um, My mom, my blood aunties, even my mom's like best friends who I consider aunties. They have been such good advocates for all of these different movements. Literally, the only reason why I started doing this was because growing up, I would be sitting at the table with all my aunties and they'd be talking about it. And so listening to them and hearing all of these issues and like no one's doing anything about it except for my people. They're trying. They're trying so hard. I wanted to be a part of it and I could not just sit there 
and not do anything. I couldn't just sit there and listen to them talk about all of these horrible things that our people face on a day-to-day basis and not do anything about it. The people that I look up to the most is just all the strong matriarchs, all the strong Native women that have gone out of their way, have put their life on the line over and over again for our people, for the greater good, not just for our people, but also just for the world in general. And I think a really good piece of advice, and I think this can go for anybody. Um, My mom repeated it to me since I was a child. I honestly can't remember a day where she didn't say this to me growing up. She always told me, remember who you are. Never forget who you are and be proud of that. Never forget who you are and where you come from. Those were like the things that she always said. And that really stuck with me. And I was extremely proud of who I am. I still am, of course. (laughs) Um, But that pride takes me back so far. So yeah, just having pride in who I was and being able to, you know, use that to give me energy, dedication and motivation to continue to do this work. Do you feel the pressure to being a spokesperson and breaking down the barriers? Yeah, of course. I mean, there are days where I feel very drained and exhausted and I'm tired of having these conversations. I'm tired and exhausted of people just not knowing when, like, it's all I've ever known, you know? And it's not their fault. Like, that's the reason why I continue to do this, why I don't get angry. Like, there are moments where I get a little frustrated, but I never get angry because I tell myself it's not their fault they don't know. The system, the way the school works, all of that is a reflection on how people see us, you know, and being able to be someone that tells the truth and that doesn't sugarcoat. Like, I'm not one to sugarcoat on when people ask questions in regards to history. I will tell them the truth. The school doesn't tell you the truth. I will tell you the truth. And it can be a lot and not going to lie, there are times where you know, generational trauma is a real thing in our communities. There are times where I get emotional and it's really hard for me to speak about certain things and sharing stories and my experiences because they're so generational. They have such a huge impact on our youth today. And being able to be someone that breaks the cycle within the community that shows strength, resilience, and true indigenous beauty And to give young people hope, it can be a little bit, a lot, a little bit of a lot. Um, But at the same time, I feel so honored. I would have never wanted any other way. The pressure of that, but also, you know, as the fame side of your job grows, which inevitably it will do, and the scrutiny that will come with that. And I think, you know, as you say, it's amazing that you can use your platform to be this voice, to, to bring that change. But are you prepared for the other side of that coin? If I'm being completely honest, I've got a really good look of the other side of that. My DMs can get pretty crazy. I've had people like threaten me and and stuff. Um, but it's just because they don't understand me. They don't know me. People on social media, they look at your Instagram or whatever. They look at your social media and they think they know who you are. And they think that they can paint out a picture of you just by the way your social media looks and not everybody agrees with me that's okay everyone's entitled to their own opinion but I feel like people always try to ignore and justify facts that are very harmful to my people and 
It can be a lot. I know I've honestly been preparing for it. I've had, even before I had like such a large platform, when I was doing my advocacy, of course, I got a lot of hate. It's a lot because breaking the cycle is so important and showing the youth that there's so much more to life than, you know, what they've experienced, what all the hurtful things. There's so much more to life and there's so many things that we can do. And just look at me like I have my own personal trauma. I have my own stuff that I deal with. I have my own baggage I carry on my shoulders. And I'm able to walk in these spaces with a good heart, with good intentions, with good energy and show people how beautiful, you know, our culture is, how beautiful our people are in regards to not just our looks, but how we walk in this world, how we show people who we are in the most respectful ways. And that's really important to me, being able to represent in the best way. So, yeah. With your environmental work, which has involved lobbying Congress and regularly talking, uh, calling publicly for action on climate change, like what makes you feel so confident and powerful in taking on these huge legislative measures? And what makes you feel hopeful for genuine change and progress happening in the future? I think it's definitely reminding myself who I am, where I come from, you know, the things that my mom would repeat to me as a kid. But also I have a lot of very powerful leaders within our communities that tell me, don't let anybody silence you, don't let anybody take away from your experiences because they're completely valid. And also reminding myself that my ancestors are walking with me everywhere I go. And if there's moments where I feel discouraged or I feel hurt or I'm struggling with whatever it is, I just ask them for guidance and I pray to them and I, you know, just say, hey, I know you're with me. Help guide me and give me strength to continue to walk this path in the right way. And just being able to remind myself that my ancestors went through so much for me to be here. My people have overcome genocide over and over and over again. And I wouldn't be here if they weren't strong enough to stick to the values, to stay strong in what we believe in and what we hold sacred. And I really do believe that it's my values and my teachings and knowing that my ancestors are with me is what keeps me strong and keeps me open-minded also. But with the, I mean, the huge extent of work that you're doing, how do you actually switch off and look after yourself? It can be really hard. I actually recently just had to learn to prioritize my mental health, my physical health, my overall well-being. It can be challenging because sometimes I feel like I'm not doing enough and I'm really hard on myself or maybe at a panel I didn't say something which I really wanted to say or whatever it is. Like I tend to beat up myself really, really hard. But at the end of the day, I have to remind myself that it's okay, that I'm doing more than I'm being asked to do. I'm doing more than I should be doing. I shouldn't have to defend my ways of life. I shouldn't have to fight to keep our earth and our water clean, the air clean, that should be our number one way, right, as people living on this earth. But really, it's just, like I said, I pray, I try to stay grounded, I focus on the beautiful things, I try not to dwell too much on the past, on my trauma, on what I've been through personally, but also the generational trauma, and 
um, reminding myself that, you know, I've worked so hard. I've went through so much to be here. My people have went through so much for me to be here and to look at the beautiful side of things and trying to stay positive. It can be hard sometimes, but it's also okay to not be okay, to remind myself that I don't always have to be strong, that it's okay to cry, that it's okay to feel things. It's okay to take time for yourself. And so in those moments, I do. Something that I always think too is, um, you know, if you're not okay, you can't do the work in the best way you, you can. You can't show up and be present in the best way you can because you're hurting or you know, you're going through something, you're not taking the time for yourself to sit with it, to deal with it, or to find solutions for it. And so, you know, if you're not okay, and you're doing this work, it's going to be a lot harder. What are your hopes and dreams for the next chapter? I have a lot of hopes and dreams, but I really want to see more representation. It's really hard walking into spaces where I'm the only Indigenous person there. Because I can't connect with anybody in the way that you know I could there were some like Gabrielle Hirsch show that I opened and closed for which is incredibly amazing I still freak out from thinking about it um there was like five other indigenous models there and when I tell you the energy backstage everyone was so happy getting along but also being able to see other models that looked like me that carried the same facial features that had the strong cheekbones and the bump on the nose and just that you know like man it feels so good but also not just representation but when it comes to advocacy I really really want to start seeing more people in power opening up and making space for indigenous voices because we carry and we hold so many solutions to today's issues yet our voice is always absent in those conversations and so being someone that has that voice and can bring that but also I want other people to be able to share their experiences to represent I want other indigenous people to have that same opportunity and I want all of us to be uplifted and our voices to be heard we are speaking to you because we just think you're such an amazing and inspiring trailblazer. But for you, who are you looking at as coming up and somebody who inspires you in the same way? Her name is Shinar. She's this beautiful Inuit girl. She is very popular on social media for her throat singing with her mom. And she's Inuit, which is like a neighboring tribe to my tribe. And that's not just one tribe. That's like the whole nation, the Inuit nation. She's Inuk. And I don't want to get any of that wrong, but she does a lot of really good work on her social media platforms in regards to teaching people about her traditions and stuff. And she inspires me. And along with a lot of other indigenous creators on social media and seeing them being heard and seen across the world and them sharing their cultures and traditions, it's it's inspiring to me. And it makes me feel even more proud to be who I am. It's really beautiful to see a lot of Indigenous people accepting and embracing who they are and not feeling ashamed of it. Thank you so much for taking the time to to speak to us. I know that the change that you're going to bring is definitely going to be felt far, far beyond the fashion industry, which is very exciting to, to watch. It has been a real honour to speak to you. Anytime I have conversations like this, I feel charged up and 
makes me feel really good. So thank you for including me, hearing my voice, and being present in this space. Um, even though it's virtual, still, I think we both feel it. Um, thank you. Um, and I know you're having quite a quite a hectic Paris as well. So thank you for, for finding the time for us. Um, how we say thank you in my language is masicho, which means thank you very much. So masicho for having me. Enter the code the new guard at the checkout for 10% off your first Netaporte order. T's and C's and exclusions apply. The new guard was brought to you by Netaporte and Chalk and Blade, hosted by Kay Barron and produced by Laura Hyde. The team at Netaporte was led by senior editor Katie Barrington, with casting by Annabelle Brog and Olivia Wakefield. The executive producer at Chalk and Blade was Ruth Barnes, with original music by Alex Portfelix and engineering by Matt Nielsen. Listener.